Hello, hi, and welcome back to Warn Me. Times are strange these days. Too strange. Between nations fighting, a pandemic that's still very much around, and the constant onslaught of social media white noise, it's easy to slip into a dark spiral. That's where I've been, hiding in my cocoon, drowning out all the noise and failing. and just trying to make sense of the world at times like these i find solace in poetry and in the ghosts of old writers that spoke in timeless verses and that's why today i have someone who for me is the very embodiment of poetry two years ago a poet called rajesh kumar wrote a comment on my blog he had been following me for many years and in a way already knew a lot about me soon enough we began emailing and texting each other and what followed was a deep easy friendship based on our mutual love for poetry words and the intensity of human emotions he runs his own poetry community in hyderabad with his friends called the twin city poetry club today we are going to talk about what poetry means to us why it's important relevant powerful and also read a few of our favorite poems out stay with us hope you like this one raj hi hi asta how are you fine thank you <laughs> we are being too formal but seriously how is how is 2020 going for you asta it's 2022 now i just keep saying 2020 i don't know there's something wrong with me yes so the question was right uh, <laughs> we are all still stuck in 2020 we don't remember the last two years which is fine yeah and 2022 is not going anywhere it just started because the first month we lost again to wave 3 so technically i have not lived for the last two years and one month Yes, as bleak as that may sound, that that's that sounds about right. Okay, so Raj, I always whenever I think of you, I think of you first as a poet and a writer. So, the first question I wanted to start off with is, um, what makes you a poet? Actually, let me rephrase that. What makes anyone a poet? Um, I I think it's more to do with the. the poetic thought behind ordinary items when faced with uh, love longing loss passion injustice or any such uh, attributes uh, when when a person sees beyond what he or she is facing and starts finding deeper meanings uh, which may affect the entire humanity on a whole then i think that poetic thought first takes takes birth mm. and people who have this poetic thought when they start voicing it and writing it over a period of time they can they they, they can be called to belong to the tribe of poets mm. i i think the same with all other art forms when the, the human being needs to fundamentally find mediums of expression so that those expressions can have a life and a context larger than the immediate manifestation of what he or she is going through 
think that's when they become an artist okay so you're saying that anyone who is an artist has a different way of approaching things and synthesizing the world yes i i think they make the mundane uh, more manageable in terms of by using imagination i think they transform the ordinary into extraordinary yeah but do you think anyone can be a poet why not as long as he or she has a poetic thought and uh, would want to invest in po- creative writing hmm. anybody can be a poet uh, our poets have not always been you know from the noble class nobility or yeah. from the courts they were very ordinary people as well um you know i recently came across uh, a korean poet um, jim sowol he lived a very young he died at the age of i think 32 or 33 or something oh. i read some of his translated works it was phenomenal and a lot of these poets come from very ordinary circumstances anybody can be a poet as long as you have the muse working with you and you invest in this trade okay but do you need to be published to call yourself a poet um the two things published doesn't mean that you know you need a random house or a penguin to call you and publish a book publish can also mean that you have your own blog and you've got a set of people who read it and appreciates it it means that you have a body of work which is discoverable to the world so that the discipline and your own personal investment into this this tribe of poetry uh, is visible mm-hmm. and absolutely yes Okay this brings me to another question. Yeah. I mean art forms are so subjective and especially poetry is extremely subjective, right? So I've often wondered if poetry needs to be simple and accessible to people for it to be effective. Uh, actually it's a very interesting question Asta. Uh, the reason is first poetry um, of our times is also a reflection of our times. it's the voice that speaks through a poet so it's not alienated from the society it's it's the voice of the society so having said that at different times in history different forms of poetry were in vogue which when you read it out of time it you'll be it will be very difficult for you to understand if you have to read beowulf today or the original shlokas from let's say the vedas or uh, bhagavad gita it's going to be difficult for you we would not see any poetry there because the language would kill you but predominantly if you look at it uh, the language deployed in a poetry uh, whether it is um, too opaque and too complex too heady i would say or too mental um, to the level that you have to engage with it vis-a-vis a simple language uh, i think all these things are accommodated within the realm of what we call poetry if you have to read uh, let's say ts eliot's the wasteland i have personally found it to be a poem that requires engagement mm. it's not something that you can just read and enjoy you would read but you would not know what you're reading because there are so many allegories so many metaphors so many references yeah. that's coming from like mythology from the the then current day political scenarios um and uh, the treatises on so many things so it's not it, it you need to work with it to appreciate it mm. but when you come back to uh, edna saint vincent millay 
or a Sylvia Plath or a Emily Dickinson, they write differently, right? Even though they are from different times and um, even today when you read it, you, you can immediately understand it. Mm. They are short, they are crisp, they are beautiful uh, and, and they are very sensitive poems, uh, quite, quite a lot of them. Yeah. Um, so the choice is yours as a follower of poetry, as a lover of poetry, to engage with the kind of poems that can talk to you. Mm. It need not be that you start with an Eliot and end with a Keats or a Yetz. Not required. If it's Yetz who talks to you, Yetz it is. If it is Neruda that talks to you, Neruda it is. So tell me how um, your relationship with poetry began. When did you get into it? And when did you start writing your own? Oh, so my earliest memories are writing a love letter to a neighbor. Oh. And her dad <laughs> and her dad came home with that love letter and said, Son, I thought that you treated her as your sister. So you sent the letter to her, but your yeah. dad got it. Her dad got it. Oh. Now, but in passing, so I said, I'm sorry, uncle. I don't, I don't think I should have done that and all that. But in passing, you know what he said? Hmm. I think you write well. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's a strange sort of validation. <laughs> no, I was very young. I was like fourth or fifth class. So I've been writing forever. Hmm. And and I think um, because I'm predominantly an introvert um, and I have a mind in which it's easier for me to express or let's say find expression of words to the complexities of the universe as long as others are going through it. But when I'm going through it, uh, I, I think I, it becomes a challenge for me. Uh, I need to write to understand hmm. uh, what I'm going through. Yeah, I can relate with that because <laughs> as a child, I felt like that was my escape. And also it yeah. was just my way of uh, synthesizing all the emotions that were too big for me. Yeah, you know? it. it was like yeah, absolutely. I think that's the right word synthesize and bring to form hmm. some very abstract, intangible feelings yeah. that we are going through. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Brilliantly said. Yeah. It it may not even be abstract. It could be something that I went through. But for me to make sense of it, I need to give it some shape. Or And more importantly, I think I like to document things. So, yeah, I mean, writing yeah. just was the most accessible way to do it when yeah, I was a yeah, child and it yeah. just became a habit. Yeah. So tell me about your favorite poets. Oh, I've been reading poetry for like like 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> so Now everyone knows your age. <laughs> yeah, so it's a little more than 40. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, I... I it's very difficult for me to say that, you know, I've got a long list of favorite poets. I love uh, William Butler Yeats. Um, I love W.H. Auden. I love uh, some bit of T.S. Eliot. I like Larkin, uh, Louis McNeese. Um, then I, I like a lot of, um, I like Mirza Ghalib. Um, all the... Rumi. Yeah, I like Rumi. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a large body and I absolutely, absolutely love some of the modern day poets. 
uh, we lost Ivan Boland uh, recently. Uh, if they had the title of um, uh, the country's poet, then the, she would have been it. Would you read uh, one of your favorites by her? By Ivan Boland, yes, uh, yes. I I think I'll read um, the poem titled Quarantine. Um, the reason is in wave one when there was large scale uh, migration um you know there were some images that got so entrenched uh, in my soul and that it probably fundamentally transformed me mm. then i remembered ivan bolin's uh, quarantine and i realized that across time at various times in history uh, this kind of catastrophe has happened and i think sometimes our vulnerabilities of being poor and uncared for gets repeated mm. uh, you know in time so i think i'll read uh, quarantine for you so that that makes a lot more sense for you okay in the worst hour of the worst season of the worst year of a whole people a man set out from the workhouse with his wife he was walking they were both walking north she was sick with famine fever and could not keep up he lifted her and put her on his back he walked like that west and west and north until at nightfall under freezing stars they arrived in the morning they were both found dead of cold of hunger of the toxins of a whole history but her feet were held against his breastbone the last heat of his flesh was his last gift to her let no love poem ever come to this threshold there is no place here for the inexact praise of the easy graces and sensuality of the body there is only time for this merciless inventory there that together in the winter of 1847 also what they suffered how they lived and what there is between a man and a woman and in which darkness it can be best proved <sighs> so devastating i remember you shared this with me and it i sat with it for a long time I think everybody should read read quarantine once in their life so that they realize that a lot of things that we glaze upon um the frills that we add on eventually when it comes to life when it comes to love it just bare bones yeah. you know you're either alive and well or dead yeah hmm so that was Ivan Bolin for you what else uh yets yes um for those who don't know uh yets his name is uh, william butler yets he lived he died in 1939 we have some bbc audio recordings of yets um and some very old videos also he was again irish there's something about ireland <laughs> last time let me tell you this <laughs> i love the serials the web series they make and i absolutely love their literature i follow the irish times women's podcast there's something about those people they're amazing they're mm. very different they're primitive 
So Yates was again, and, and if you're aware of this, all the strife that was there between England and Ireland, yeah. and within Ireland, the, the IRA and all, so Yates was from that time of extreme strife. Uh, so in this, um, the Irish airman foresees his death is the poem's title. It's about an airman who is fighting on behalf of the British, but has no affinity or love for the cause hmm. and is obviously not British and is fighting a war that is not his hmm. for a set of people that are not his. Hmm. So it's a beautiful poem. Let me read it for you. An Irish airman foresees his death. I know that I shall meet my fate somewhere among the clouds above. Those that I fight, I do not hate. Those that I guard, I do not love. My country is Kultartan Cross. My countrymen Kultartan's poor. No likely end could bring them loss or leave them happier than before. Nor law, nor duty bade me fight nor public men, nor cheering crowds. A lonely impulse of delight drove to this tumult in the clouds. I balanced all, brought all to mind. The years to come seemed waste of breath. A waste of breath, the years behind. In balance with this life, this death. Wow. It says a lot of things. It says Asta. a lot. Yeah, yeah and also I think it's a commentary on just wars, right? Because nobody wants to fight that war. It's yes, yeah, you, you can say that. Um, you can definitely say that because our history has also shown that we uh, as Indians have gone and fought alien wars. Mm, yeah. So you can feel how alienated our soldiers would have felt yeah. fighting Goras against Goras, you know, the whites against whites. Yeah. I loved both of them, Raj. Thank you, thank you, Asta. Thinking about the history of poetry and thinking about how poetry has been evolving, how important do you think it is to have poets and poetry around in the world? See, I've heard of Maslow's theory of needs, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the basic needs. But I think all of us know that life is not lived in when only the elementary needs are fulfilled. Mm. Life flourishes and life prospers when there is finesse. But you have to remember that poetry um, and maybe music to a very large extent today are also carriers of human emotions, human thoughts, um, turbulences of the society and a lot of other strife. And I, I think poetry has been the primary carrier of memories which would have otherwise faded. So I think these are all very critical and important. And also it can be a very powerful tool, right, for movements and revolutions and to drive change. Yes. Poetry, uh, you know, for many years, good poetry, whether it's rendered into song, whether it is read as spoken verse, it can trigger uh, behavioral change. Mm. Uh, It can transform societies because it incites or encourages or motivates people to act in a particular way. Mm. It it has that power to transform Mm. and bring change. You're absolutely right. But why is poetry not more mainstream? And why is it that hate spreads faster than love? 
why poetry is not more, more mainstream? Well, primarily, all poetry to a non-poet can be very boring. Mm. So, uh, if you ask me to read poetry collection from an age and time and a genre which I don't appreciate, it's got a very heading on me. It's I, I don't like it. I won't read it. So, it's not something that anybody would prefer to patronize. Mm. It is a closed group. It was always a closed group. Just that it's more diverse now, more fragmented now. So that would always remain so. I think as societies become more complex, the voices of poets uh, may be heard in lesser number of theatres of play. Mm. So that's how the societies are. Now the other question about why hatred spread faster than love. I think you just have to look at fire and anger. It's easier for fire to spread and it takes so many more years for a tree to grow, drawing water out from, through a huge set of roots down underwater. So love is slow. Yeah. It has to go through a lot of processes to give life hmm. and sustain life. Fire has the power to annihilate. It's fast. It's just like hatred just like anger, it's, it consumes faster. And because we are living in the time of uh, senses, mm. where uh, we're driven by sensations, I think there's a pattern in which we become more angry over a period of time and we start relishing our anger. Mm. And this anger gets channelized into different shapes and forms. One of it is hatred. Okay, so you have been in Hyderabad for many years now. and. Yeah. Yeah, 16 years now. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and you found your own community when it came to writing and poetry and you started this club with a few people called Twin City Poetry Club. Tell me a bit about it. How did it start and how was your experience? Uh, so in 2009, I googled for a safe space where I can listen to some good poetry. And I found out that there's nothing. Nowhere was a current modern day setup available. So that's when I started uh, a meetup group uh, called Twin City Poetry Club. And I, I think over the next couple of years, a lot of um, very you know wonderful people uh, joined hands and they took forward. They invested their time, their energies, their passions and took forward that agenda. And... The, when we start today, it's got around 1500 plus uh, poets um, and patrons in that group. And we've got around 100, 110 active poets at any given point of time. And I, I think it was a very open culture, um, safe space, uh, agnostic to form, uh, agnostic to language. So I think Trinity, thankfully, has been uh, the favorite home. Mm for a lot of migratory poets across the world. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine why. Yeah. It's like that safe space and that sense of community. Yeah. And Absolutely. also it's it's just nice to meet uh, fellow poets because you know that um, their antenna is also up in terms <laughs> of how they take in the world. You know that they also they're all they're all feelers, right? So you just feel like you can be more vulnerable and open with a community like that. I mean, like, I, I agree that 
poets are, tend to be a bit introvert um, and rarely venture out. Uh, <laughs> but tell me about yourself. How, how do you see that? So, I... Yes, I am an extrovert. But there is a big part of me that's also an, ex- in, an introvert. Okay. And um, with poetry, I always felt like it wasn't something that I could talk to any friend easily. So I was looking for some sense of community and I did join um, a couple of uh, workshops online. Uh, one of them is called the Airplane Poetry Movement. And what was refreshing was that when you all sit there and you share your poetry with each other, everyone just gets it. It just makes you feel like they're your own people. There is some sense of silent kinship, you know, it just forms automatically. Yeah. yeah, So that's what I loved about uh, that workshop. Absolutely. So I also know that you have uh, self-published your poetry and prose. why don't you read something out? Let me start with something uh, which I think you also liked. Yeah. It's titled, I Will Kill You. <laughs> I love the title. <laughs> yeah, so let me read that for you. It was a crazy day. I had lots of meetings and reviews and was thirsting for a moment with you. I remember hurrying up your office next door. I found you surrounded by your colleagues and discussing something on your desktop. I came in from behind and without a thought, pulled your chair a little backward and kissed you in your forehead. That was the first time I saw you upside down. The other ladies did not know where to hide. There was a moment of scandalous silence. And then you turned your chair to me and said, I will kill you and broke into an incredible smile. Looking back, I wish you had killed me then. Oof, that drama always gets me. <laughs> yeah, I, I really know. like that one. <laughs> um, maybe I'll read another small poem called Half of You. Mm. So, um, traveling, especially long train journeys and long flights, it makes me very melancholic. Mm. Uh, there's a streak of melancholia that hits me. And a lot of memories come to the fore. I don't know why. Uh, yeah. Does traveling do that to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when you're traveling alone. Definitely. Uh, so, uh, let me read half of you. The setting is in an airport. So, half of you. I'm sitting at this airport somewhere and I see a girl who looks quite like you. Something that she did caught my attention. She was almost as tall, almost as fair, and her hair... It was just as straight and shiny. The way she looked into her bag for the boarding pass, the way she held her head high and her gait graceful and stately reminded me of you. And then she looked at me and the way she looked at me, I knew it could not be you. She did not look at me the way you look at me when you love me, nor when you hate me. Only you can look at me the way you look at me. God, I really like that one. It's a very simple poem. Now, Asta, you've asked me to read two of my poems. <laughs> I, I really hope that your listeners enjoy them. But I think one poem that I would like to hear today 
is about aging yeah and about loss can you read that poem i don't remember the name yeah it's called a sliver of time sliver yes yeah so i mean i have this is something that i've been thinking about for a few years now especially because like as you start approaching 30 the hmm. the passage of time suddenly makes itself known right in all sorts of ways yeah so this one is about that okay yeah everything is replaceable until you willingly commit to notice the slow unwavering passage of time as the whites in my hair race to match up to those in mom's as papa's wrinkles seem just a little more pronounced through the blurry video call it makes itself palpable with the nuanced easy to miss tenderness the overpowering unfamiliar aches my neck seems to be burdened with the faint crow's feet around my eyes the black dress that begs for attention bitter at the sheer softness of the pajama everything is replaceable until you realize everything that's replaceable isn't worth replacing after all and the tragedy of life is that everything you hold closest to you eventually slips away and rightly so we are after all a sum of everything we lose so beautifully put how do you even come across this we are the sum of everything that we lose thank, thank you, you asta <laughs> okay so this is the last question and this is something that i ask everybody yeah. who comes here yeah. tell me one book that has made the biggest impact in your life um it's 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 a book that was published i think in 2013 or 14 where i picked a copy of it recently from an airport it's called god does not play dice uh, i have this interest in um, physics and quantum mechanics and um, both the universe the quantum universe and the clockwork universe and how it functions and i see a lot of connection between what happens to us how two souls connect together how random strangers come together so this book um, god does not pay die is uh, one in which david shank tries to justify what uh, einstein had said that i don't believe in a universe which god plays dice he had believed in a machinist universe where things were predictable and quantum believes in a universe which is probable and it's not very poetic it's not pure literature but those who have an eclectic interest if they read it they would i think it would help bring a lot more dimensions into the everyday life and feelings that we have That's is it easy it to read very it's very easy it's it's like a very small book i also like malcolm gladwell's uh, what the dog saw mm-hmm. but any given day um, i think you would be intrigued by the the imagery beauty and and stunts that david shank takes in god does not play dice so nice you i have to check this out now yeah Well, I think that's it, Raj. I'm out of questions. Thank you, Asta. I'm sure you're not out of questions, <laughs> but out of time. But I absolutely love the people you bring on the show. Wow, you're the only consistent listener I have, and now you're also on my podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you, Asta. I really had to do this. I really wanted to do this. Also, thanks to everyone who's 
been with us and they've listened to us till the end and you can check out raj's blog at uh, worksofrk.com is that right yes w o r k s of rk.com yeah and you can also check out uh, the twin city poetry club on meetup all you have to do is google thank you thank you asta thanks raj i'll see you see you when i see you bye bye